Hey everyone, Jason Shepard here, and you're listening to the CFI podcast by M0A.com, where a good pilot is always learning. I find weather one of the most difficult subjects to really teach students. Hey everyone, Jason Shepard here of M0A.com, and you are listening to the CFI Podcast. Of course, CFI Certificated Flight Instructor Podcast, brought to you by our number one rated online ground school, groundschoolacademy.com, for all your written check ride and just being a safe real world pilot needs for you and your students. Keep in mind, we give you a 30% kickback of anything your students purchase from us on m0a.com. We pay that to you. And those payouts have been getting uh, pretty big lately. Uh, Ashley's in charge of all that. And I see some of those checks that go out. And there's some CFIs that are making some good extra income off of sending us some business. So if that's one of you, thank you so much for that. Today's topic is teaching weather. And let's start with really, I mean, when it comes to teaching weather, there's really two types. The textual weather side, METARs, TAFs, PIREPs, PROG charts, that sort of stuff. And then the physical weather, the actual creation of the weather and dealing with the weather and flying through what you just read about in that METAR, right? So how do we teach really the two sides? In the online ground school, I divided up as two totally separate things, reading weather and then actually experiencing it and why it forms and where it could go from there are two totally different things. So textual weather is so tough for students, yet they have to know it. I mean, if you've been if you're already a CFI or if you're an aspiring CFI, but if you're if you're a CFI already, you know how difficult it can be sometimes to have a student just take a look at that METAR and go, "Oh my goodness, I don't know if I'm ever going to get this." Like it, it is very intimidating to look at a METAR. And then you go, okay, a TAF. And they look and they go, well, it's got some similarities, but there's so much that is just so different as well between METARs and TAFs. And then PIREPs throw a whole other kink in there. And then we get into PROG charts and just, uh, thank goodness, area forecasts are gone. Uh, by the way, if you didn't know that, I just posted a recent video on what's changed or what's changing in aviation that uh, you need to make sure you check out. So, um, I make my students know textual weather. I make them read me the METARs, read me the TAFs before um, we actually go fly. And I take things differently. So I challenge all my students to do something. I do this to all my online ground school members too, and this is something great you could adopt and add to your lesson plans. I challenge them to read a METAR a day and then go outside and experience it. Here's what I mean. It's one thing to read, okay, winds 270 at 1-4, gust 2-0. It's windy. I got it. But to go outside and see the clouds moving that fast and feel the wind blowing you, and they might just be at their house where there's a lot of surface friction. Imagine how gusty it is at the airport. For them to actually get something tangible with that. It's one thing for a student to read a METAR and go, okay, clouds broken at 2,900. Walk outside and look up and say, okay, that's what a broken layer looks like at 2,900 feet. And now they know. And they're going to look at that broken at 2,900. Whereas when they look at it on paper, they go, oh, it's at 2,900 feet. That's plenty high. I'll just fly, you know, I'll fly at like 2,000 feet. I'll be fine. And I'm, I'm legal, right? 
and they walk outside and they look up and they go, wow, that looks a whole lot lower than I thought. And geez, broken. I mean, you could almost call that overcast. I mean, it's, see, it's one thing for a student to read it on paper. It's another thing for a student to actually see it and experience it. So challenge your students to read a METAR a day and then step outside and experience it. Challenge your students to be reading these METARs even as they're making their go and no-go decisions at the airport. Then step outside on the airport ramp and feel what that wind feels like. See what the clouds look like in their scattered, broken, overcast, however they're, they're described and at those altitudes. Realize all of that. You know, I want students to not only just see it, you know, such as the METARs and the TAFs, but to get more advanced into things like prog charts and look at a prog chart and see, oh, that's a cold front. And the cold front's working its way here. It's going to be here in two or three days. I know what kind of weather a cold front brings with it. I know that leading up to that cold front, cold front it's going to be windy. It's probably going to be gusty. There's a good chance of thunderstorms There's a, or snowstorms. There's a good chance of shearing wind. But I also know behind that cold front, I see a beautiful high-pressure system. So I may not be able to fly in the next two or three days, but a week from now, man, it's going to be some of the prettiest flying weather of the season because I know as a cold front that goes through and rips out all that junk all through the air and brings in nice high pressure, we're going to have some really pretty flying weather coming up. I should get on the schedule and get some stuff booked. And they're being like their own meteorologists in a way as they see these sort of things and start to make these sort of decisions. But they need to get out there and experience it on the ramp. But they also need to experience it in the air too. Here's what I mean by that. This is where you come in as the flight instructor. You see, help your students set up their personal minimums. I've done entire podcasts on personal minimums, so I won't get into that too much. But help them set up their personal minimums and then help them take a flight with you, obviously, that's right at those personal minimums. And I guarantee you they're going to bump those personal minimums up. Because here's what I often find. When I, when I sit down with a student, private pop candidate that, that makes their personal minimums, they often do, the, the big one where they really screw up is on visibility. Because they'll go in and set, uh, my personal minimums, I'm going to set my visibility at like seven. Because I, I think that'll be good. And they've never really seen seven. You see, the psychological disconnect that we have is that a METAR only shows up to 10, right? So... The METAR says visibility 10, but you and I both know it could be unlimited and beautiful. It's only going to say 10. The visibility could only be 11. It's only going to say 10. The visibility could be 10. It's going to say 10. And flight instructors, you've all seen this. What does visibility, what does 10 statute miles of visibility really look like? It's bad, isn't it? You're probably thinking like, geez, I really wish I had an IFR on file at this point because visibility is bad. It's not something you want your private pilot candidates flying around in, right? But the METAR, just looking at it on paper, causes that disconnect that we don't appreciate what 10 statute miles of visibility really looks like because we never get to see it. We just always assume that 10 is good. When, when it really is 10, that's not so good. Nine's even worse, right? So when they set their personal minimums at seven, I encourage you to take them up on a day when the visibility is seven and let them see it. And they're going to look and go, I don't know what I was thinking. This is, I feel like I need to be an instrument rated pilot right now and, and pretty darn close, right? 
you need them to have these experiences. You, and obviously in a very controlled environment, I'm not saying go up and file IFR and shoot them and approach down to minimums or anything like that. I'm simply just saying that we need students. This is how students grow though too. Perhaps they set decent personal minimums. Perhaps they set personal minimums that are right where they should be. And let's say for a, let's say a brand new private pilot. They did their certificate in, in 50 hours, so they're, they're a good private pilot. They're, not that having more time makes you a bad private pilot, but I'm just saying they really got through the course. They really understood everything. Things just clicked. You know the kind of student I'm talking about here. This isn't a knock on having any more or less time. I'm just saying, you know what I mean when I say uh, zero to 50 hour private pilot. There weren't a lot of hiccups. Everything just worked out well for them, but they put themselves in that position because they really studied hard. They really just got everything first time kind of student. We've had students like that before, I'd imagine. If not, you will, and you'll know what I'm talking about. So you take a student like that and you say, listen, I'm going to set your personal minimums you know, for you of no wind greater than 10 knots, no crosswind, you know, five knots or greater, no visibility of less than 10. If that METAR says nine, you're just not going. And no clouds lower than 2,500 feet. And I don't, I don't mean broken or overcast. I mean few scattered. It doesn't matter. If there's a cloud 2,500 feet and below, you're just not flying that day. Because what are you going to do if there's a, even a scattered layer at 2,500 feet? Pattern work is about all you're really limiting yourself to, right? And we all know a few layer becomes a scattered layer, becomes a broken layer, becomes an overcast layer very quickly, doesn't it? So you set those personal minimums, which are decent for someone of that ability. And you take them up on a day for some instrument training where you file IFR perhaps because you're working on their instrument together and the clouds are 2,200 overcast. And they get to finally stick their head in the clouds and they really learn to respect why they have those personal minimums. And they're thankful they're only at 2,200 because they can break out nice and early. Or you take them for just a private pilot refresher day when the winds are just 11 knots. And they're, they're mostly down the runway, but they're, you know how 11 knots feels. It's, it's not always consistent, is it? 11 knots, even straight down the runway, can be a challenge for a new private pilot. You find ways to just barely challenge them to help them expand their abilities. This is the beauty of flight simulators and such too, that we can put students in situations they wouldn't normally get to experience. And we can take them and just barely exceed their personal minimums that way. Just barely enough so they're still learning something. That's really what we're after. You see, teaching weather I don't believe can be done in a book. I think to teach weather, the students need to experience it. And it starts with reading a METAR a day and walking out on the ramp or outside their front yard in their driveway and feeling the wind, seeing the clouds, realizing the temperature even, seeing and feeling everything so they know what it's like. And then translating that out to the airport and then into the airplane to their control inputs. And not them putting themselves in this situation, but you in a very controlled environment as their flight instructor, helping them stretch a little bit, helping them realize why they have personal minimums in the first place and teaching valuable real world lessons. You guys know this. I mean, I say this all the time and I, I, I hope my ground school members appreciate it, but all the time I'm always harping on you know, don't just go out and memorize for your written test because it's not really a written test. It's called the knowledge test. 
And nothing bugs me more than when someone just goes out and memorizes. And listen, I'm raising my hand because that's how I was taught. Literally, I was taught to go into the Red Book. I'm not going to name any names. It's a great book, though. But I was taught to go into the Red Book and only highlight the right answers so you never even see the wrong answers and just go through and memorize. And that's how I was taught. That's, that's how I passed my knowledge tests, as crazy as that sounds. That's how it was done. There has to be a change in this. There has to be a change in how we teach. That's why I always teach. Yes, I'll help you pass your written, your knowledge test. Yes, I'll help you pass your check ride. But most importantly, we're here to make you a safe real world pilot. And if you as their flight instructor operate that way and I as their ground instructor operate that way, man, are we going to create an amazing generation of pilots to come? And hopefully you can hear the, the, the passion in my voice when I say that because we mean it. It's what we do here each and every day. So hopefully, I mean, obviously you're on board with that because you're listening to this. I mean, there is a, uh, a, a small population of flight instructors that, that are so dedicated and you are a part of that population because you take the time to better yourself because you want to be your best possible pilot, right? The best pilot you can be. So you can be an asset to your students because when you're flying your best and you have that, that amount of knowledge and can answer those questions they have, you make your students better as well. And success in aviation is what we're all after. So listen, guys, thank you for what you do for aviation. It starts with the flight instructors. You listening to this, you sharing this, this is how aviation gets better. The accident rate is not going to get better overnight. The accident rate isn't going to get better next year even. It is a, a generational change. It's like, to use a sports analogy, I was actually watching um, you know, some of the bowl games, the college bowl games. I'm talking about some of the new coaches coming in. They're saying, listen, some of these coaches come in and people expect change right away on these football teams, but they can't. You have to have allow time for things to change, for the new recruiting class to come in and go through and graduate. And really, it's the same in aviation that these things take time. You and I can be on the same team together, and I really, truly believe we are, of, of bettering aviation, but it doesn't happen overnight. It happens one student at a time, and you affect that one student who then refers somebody else to you and grows your business, and you just continue to share aviation, continue to make it safer, smarter aviators, and it happens one pilot at a time, one flight instructor at a time. It's a small impact, but it's exponential eventually. And that's the game we're playing. We're in this for the long haul. And I'm glad you guys are as well to better general aviation. So listen, enjoy the rest of your day. And most importantly, remember that a good pilot is always learning. Have a great day, guys. See ya.